are going to hand over to our speakers now. Um, so we have, uh, they're kind of wrapping up our God in Culture series. And firstly, before I hand over to them, um, just wanted to say that, I've, well, I don't know about you guys, but I've absolutely loved this series. And just thank you so much to, well, some of you guys that have been up for sharing on, on a particular area or, um, you know, some of the questions you guys have brought to the Q&A. That's been just, it's just been so interesting. And I've just loved um, just hearing people talk about the thing that they are passionate about and the thing that God's called them to and the, the thing that God's put on their heart. I, I personally have had a fantastic time. So thank you to everyone who's been involved with the series and just for, yeah, people getting involved with Q&A and everything. Um, but tonight we are very blessed. We are going to be looking at um, God in social justice. Very exciting. And we have Alice Corey, Emily Burton Horton, and Anna Vernon sharing with us. Um, so as they speak, if you've got any questions um, for them, there's going to be a little time of Q&A at the end. So do save them or write them down. Um, but yeah, without further ado, I'm going to hand over, I think, to Anna Vernon. Is that is that correct? That yeah. is correct. I feel like we should give them a quick round of applause. Yeah. I'm used to just give them a quick round of applause. <laughs> yeah, round of applause. There we go. Sorry, there you go, Anna. Hello. Um, yeah, as those guys said, um, uh, my name's Anna. Um, I was around in part of Essence for five years, so this is the first academic year I haven't been, which is funny because I don't know lots of your faces and that feels weird. Um, and I work for the organisation Just Love, which is um, a nationwide movement uh, envisioned to see the tide turn on injustice by um, seeing a whole generation marry together um, their heart for justice and their discipleship, which is super exciting. So tonight I'm going to start by laying a, a biblical foundation for justice. And it's going to be fast, so just hold on to your hats and brace yourselves. Um, I'm going to do that by looking at two things primarily. Firstly, justice as the restoration of relationships. And secondly, justice as the responsibility of all of us. But justice can feel like quite a big term, it's quite abstract. So we're just going to start by breaking it down. What even is justice? What is social justice? Well, justice, let's look at the word, is um, about fair decisions being made, isn't it? It's about right being done in the place of wrong. And social is about relationships, it's personal. So social justice really simply is about right being done in the place of wrong relationally. It's about being in a state of right relationships. And when we're not, it's the act of restoring those relationships. And there's um, a scholar called Bryant Myers, who, <laughs> here's the model I made earlier, talks about the four dimensions of relationship that we can be in. Our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with God, our relationship with the environment and our relationship with others. And he says that when all of these relationships are right, that is when we see justice. So to be in a place of justice, these relationships have to be right. But the moment that one of these breaks is the moment that injustice enters our world and that we can trace every single injustice flying around to the breakdown of one of these relationships. And I challenge you to go away and think about it or ask me because I genuinely think you can. I don't have time to do it with you. But that injustice is simply a breakdown of relationships. So social justice is simply the overflow of living in right relationships, which is hardly surprising when God is so relational. What's key for us to note is that it's four dimensional. So walking with Jesus, discipleship with Jesus, justice with Jesus is not just some navel gazing exercise centered on us and ourselves. It's not some introspective us and God, and it's not just us and the people we're comfortable. It's four dimension and it's all of creation. And justice is so extraordinarily important to God. 
The speaker theologian Tim Keller talks about how um, incredibly important it is that God often introduces himself as a God of justice because people frequently introduce themselves as a the thing they spend most of their time doing. So you might have noticed at the start, I said that I work for Just Love. I spend a lot of my time working. But sometimes you get speakers at church that come in and say, um, oh yeah, I work for this church and I'm a mum of 17,000 children called Hezekiah, Ezekiel, Titus, Obadiah, Jeremiah, blah, 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 because they spend most of their time being a mum. People always introduce um, themselves by what they spend their time doing. So how incredibly important is it that our God introduces himself as a father to the fatherless, as the protector of widows, as the one who sets the lonely in family and leads the prisoner forth in singing. That has weight. So I want to quickly reflect on the whole story of the Bible. Big challenge, I know. So right at the beginning, what we find, Adam and Eve, God, everything is right relationships. They are in a state of shalom. Now that is not some like weird hippie vibey piece. It's also not a Friday night dinner reference. Shalom is this weighty word, which means all of these things being in their rightness. But Sadly, it doesn't stay like that. What we get is Adam and Eve severing this one and consequently all the others falling. The curse enters, they start blaming each other and severing their relationship with one another. And then they start feeling shame and they cover themselves up from being naked, alas. Um, and then the whole of the rest of the Old Testament and kind of the rest of the Bible is this relentless pursuit of God trying to restore these relationships between him and his people and between them and each other, them and the environment and them and themselves. And what is so significant is the people he chooses. Because in almost all other ancient cultures, gods associate themselves with the elite, the lineage of the gods, the genealogy of the gods is with the important people. But our God didn't take his stand with kings and princes. He took his stand with the poor, the orphan, the foreigner and the widow the quartet of the vulnerable, as Tim Keller calls them. Our God made slaves his people, and that is absolutely mad. That is what, and um, there's a Sri Lankan uh, theologian, Vinoth Ramachandra, who calls that scandalous grace. And I think because we're so used to it, we've forgotten how utterly absurd it is that a God would choose his people to be people enslaved. He would choose them to be the ones that represent him. And theologians generally accept that God has this counter bias towards the poor. It's not that he's against the rich, but he has this draw to protect the people that need uh, protecting. So God wants to restore all those relationships for the Israelites. And in some absurd turn of events, he decides that he wants to live amongst them. That is unheard of. But obviously for God to live amongst people, there needs to be rules, house rules, as I like to think of them. And some of that is the Ten Commandments and some of them um, are the law books that we find in the Bible. But so many of these are about caring for the vulnerable. In fact, the way God judged how a society was functioning was on how they treated um, the vulnerable. So there's like huge chunks of law books that might seem dusty and, and dense or clunky and stale to us are not as they seem. They are actually the story of how God is creating a new kind of people who are able to fully love God and fully love others. These laws are trying to enable the Israelites to live right with one another, with themselves, with the environment, with God, trying to live in harmony and to represent him and his heart to the rest of the world. There are high stakes on choosing an exploited people as your people because they represent you. 
And so the laws he creates, there are laws about how to treat your slaves well. There's laws about resting in order to resist the relentless cycles of production, consumption, comparison, and busyness. There are crazy um, development ideas based on empowerment like gleaning, which you should check out later and is very radical for its time. There are laws around um, uh, purification for a society obsessed with ritual purification that meant that people like lepers who would be inherently unclean could enter back into society and there are these crazy laws like the year of the jubilee which is a, meant that once in every 50 years uh, everything was reset so uh, debts were wiped uh, land was returned to its former owners slaves were set free um, and everyone had a chance to start over so you get these crazy law books that express the father heart of God to protect and care. And then we hit the prophets and they rally and they rail against unjust systems and against kings and tyrants. And they're crying out to the religious. They're crying out to the religious with their shows that mean nothing to God when they're not based on care. And Isaiah 58 is famously saying, your fasts mean nothing to me. The shows you mean mean nothing to me when you still exploit your workers. Because true worship is to loose the chains of injustice. That is message of the prophets. And then we hit Jesus and crumbs. He is the true embodiment of justice of what that whole buildup of the Old Testament is. We have his death. That is the ultimate justice. Um, restoring relationships but the way he did his life his ministry was centered on healing and bringing back those and in, in the margins the outcast the hurt into uh, society and restoring all of those relationships he was on a one-man mission to get people back in right relationship and then we know that at the end of the story all things will be made new we are not escaping to some wishy-washy heaven we have a new heaven and a new earth because God isn't only interested in the spiritual. At the beginning, he made physical things and said, it is good, is it good, it is good. And at the end, it will be good. He will put all of these relationships back right. And I would love to have told you this slowly and in more detail, but I want to, you to see how central this is. This is not a topic, this is central to our walk with Jesus. This is not an add-on for when you feel holy, when you've got a prayer, a worship, Bible times and evangelism sorted, this is an expression of the love we have received. If we are to be little Christs of Christians, if we are to walk the way Jesus did, a life of restoring relationships is the life that we have chosen. Micah 6.8 is um, <laughs> grossly overused in many ways uh, in justice circles, but it says it pretty bluntly. This is what I require of you, says the Lord, to act justly love mercy and walk humbly with our God. This is the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Cool, um, so we're gonna hand straight on to Emily, or is it Alice, I can't remember. Who I think it's me. Oh, great, great. <laughs> okay, so my time, hello. My name is Emily, I um, graduated from Exeter Uni last in the summer, and I was doing politics and international relations um, and I'm still in Exeter, I've stuck around and I currently work for um, a housing association. I work nights um, in supported housing for the homeless, which more or less means that my job is um, to maintain the safety of the building and the welfare of the people inside it at night. So um, it's, not, it's not boring, <laughs> plenty going on. Um, and so, 
kind of my uh, what I wanted to share with you about social justice and um, kind of is around these two questions. Firstly, how do we pursue social justice with God practically? And number two, what sets us apart from non-Christians pursuing social justice? So also a little disclaimer at the start, my um, when I say pursuing social justice and I'm mostly going to focus on service. So um, this for me is from a perspective of working with the homeless but also I think it is applicable in any um, approach to social justice that you could have in terms of like voluntary work or work or just just loving people and restoring relationships um like Anna so beautifully talked about um so how do we pursue social justice with God and what sets us apart from non-Christians pursuing social justice headline if you take nothing else away from this please take this um our motivation um, for pursuing social justice, for serving people, must be love. It must be love. Anything else is unworkable for um, a sustainable and effective um, walk in justice. Um, and that love is two-pronged. Firstly, and this is from Matthew 22, when um, Jesus lays out the two most important rules um, or commands um, of God for us as Christians, firstly, that we must love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul and strength. Um, we, must, we must love Jesus and acknowledge him for what he's done for us. The ultimate act of justice, the wiping away of our sins, the re restoration of um, us back into relationship with him. Firstly, we must love him. And in loving him, we must be obedient to him in loving our neighbour as ourselves. Number two. Um, so that means that when we serve people, we need to love them. We need to love them. And those two things must be our motivation for any any approach to social justice at all. And I think that's there's quite a few things that we also need to actively prevent from being our motivations, which um, I'll quickly rattle through. Um, anger is a very reasonable response to the social to the to the brokenness around us. Um, Jesus got angry, reasonable response, but it cannot be the place from which we serve. We'll get burned out. We won't be loving people. We won't be obeying Jesus and what he's told us to do if we do that. Stay away from anger. Two, we, our motivation for service cannot be that, um, that doing it as works. We, it can't be our works to earn our salvation. We need to acknowledge Jesus' love for us and what Jesus has done and that is foundational in the story of biblical justice as Anna said that is the centerpiece um Jesus has wiped away our sins and nothing that we could do good or bad will change that um if we uh if we do put our motivation in works in this way we're looking for value in something that's not there we will not be satisfied by that we will not be able to be sustain any work that we are doing Number three, similarly, unsatisfyingly, we need to um, stay away from being seen to serve, from that being our motivation, from popularity, from this idea of being a good Christian. Um, I, think, I think actually there are some really serious idols that need to be toppled here. Um, I'm sure we've all fallen to this, me absolutely included. Um, if our value is in people's praise, we're like, misunderstanding what Jesus has done for us on the cross and again we're not loving the people that we're serving if that's if that's the case also will not satisfy number four and this could be the most important I think is um we need to stay away 
from thinking that we are people's saviors. We are not. Um, again, it is crucial to understand and to like make note of the fact that Christians pursuing social justice in the name of social justice have got things wrong a lot. We've hurt people as a group. We are not exempt from doing things wrong because we love Jesus. And we can't sideline Jesus as our saviour by trying to be one for others. Um, this is, I think, especially important when we're thinking about how we interact with and um, serve non-Christians especially. We need to be really aware of how they might have been hurt, how, um, how they might view us as a result. Um, I'll speak a bit more on that in a sec. So, our motivation needs to be in love. That's the headline. Motivation in love must be that. Um, but why? I think if, if our motivation is properly in love, then it must also be to do social justice well, not just to do it, um, to, uh, to love people well. We have huge resource and opportunity to make real change um, and love people really well in serving them. You know, we are educated, we have time, we have money, we have good relationships. And actually, if our motivations, again, if they are rooted in love, we have the resources of heaven because we're not relying on our own strength. What a resource that is. Um, so I think knowing that, we need to think really carefully about how we go and serve. And practically, I would say, don't do something for the sake of it. Um, do your research, take time to understand who you're serving before you begin. Ask people for advice, pick their brains, pursue excellence. We're doing this for the glory of God, right? So we need to be pursuing excellence for this. And I realise that is not easy. You know, it requires us to maybe be more invested than we've been challenged to be in the past. But, you know, yes, sacrifice is required, but how much more for us has Jesus done? Um, and actually, I think another really, really key thing here is that you know, if we're picking the brains of people who have more expertise than us, this has to include non-Christians. We need to um, honour their expertise. There, are, We are young um, and there are loads of non-Christian people and organisations who absolutely do things better than us right now. Um, I work in a non-Christian workplace. Um, that is housing the homeless, that is um, serving them. and. I see my colleagues, some of them serve so diligently. They serve people who are really, really difficult to serve. Um, it's not a thanked job. Um, it's not a glamorous job. And I've had conversations with them and it breaks my heart to um, hear that they have a really low view of Christian contribution um, to results in this. They've seen people um, love in an uninformed ignorant way to their detriment and i think we have such an opportunity to um acknowledge where we've been wrong by being really aware of past hurt and correct and um and heal relationships and um yeah 
I think I think that's so important because of course it's not true for everyone but how they see us is so important um also I'll just touch on um so Jeremiah's letter to the exiles in chapter 29 we um as Anna said you know we know the end of the biblical story we know that we will see Jesus and that all things will be made new and we live in a world that is not our home right now but as Jeremiah wrote, as God wrote through Jeremiah, um, seek peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for if it prospers, you too will prosper. We live in the world and we need to help the people in the world and collaborate with them and honour them for the work that they do and work with them towards their successes. Um, and John, John writes, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You know, if we're not if we're not honouring our non-Christian social justice counterparts and serving with them, how how can we be distinguished by our love if they can't see us? I just think this is so important, and I realise that's a lot. Sorry, everyone, and I've gone over time. But um, to actually make this more like tangible for us tonight, I would love to just invite you. In, in view of trying to rejig our motivations towards love again, to just take a moment and receive Jesus' love for you again, there, that has to be the starting point. There's, that has to be the starting point. Without him, what are we? Um, turn back to him if your gaze has slipped, um, which inevitably it will. Inevitably our motivations will go all over the place just turn back to him, fix your gaze back on him, um, you know, know how you've been saved, you're loved, no matter what you do, and yeah, I'll just pray for us super quick and then, and then that's me. Um, Father God, thank you that you, you knew us um, before we were born, you knit us together in our mother's wombs, you love us as your children and um, there is nothing that we could do to change your love. I pray, um, Lord, that we would be encountered by the truth of what Jesus has done again. Would you meet with us? Would you turn us back towards you? We offer you our lives again, and um, I pray that it is from there that you would use us in our brokenness to serve you and to, and to love your people, Lord. Amen. That's it from me, Alice. Thank you, Em. That was amazing. And Anna, thank you, guys. That was incredible. Um, so, um, hi, everyone. I'm Alice. Um, I, uh, I'm going to be talking a bit about climate justice. Um, but firstly, um, if you don't know me, um, as I said, I'm Alice and I went to uni in Exeter. I just graduated in the summer. I spent four years there and left with a master's in mechanical engineering. And uh, now at the moment, I am doing the internship with ENC, which I love. And um, uh, I, I work with kids and I work with Prime Ministry and I am also helping ENC become more sustainable. 
And as well as that, I work for a Christian charity that helps you understand your carbon footprint and offset it if you want to. So uh, we run a bunch of offsetting projects that have multiple benefits to the community as well as being used for offsetting. Um, so um, I'm just going to share a bit about my story about how I got onto the sort of train of, of climate justice, of why the environment matters to me. And then I'm going to talk a bit about uh, what the Bible says. Um, so when I was 14, I am, gosh, I am 24 now, that's 10 years ago, um, we, uh, I was shown a video in my DT class um, about sweatshops and the fast fashion industry and um, these women and children who were working for a pittance uh, were uh, not only um, really poor and starving, but their waterways were also being polluted by these um, fabric factories um, that they, you know, they would have their washing water and their drinking water sourced from. And this broke my heart. It, I was distraught. I was someone who spent all my money on shopping, on clothes. It was my favorite hobby. And um, I just couldn't face the idea that I was contributing to that. So um, I uh, decided that I would shop only at charity shops and like secondhand places. And that as far as I could, I would avoid high street chains. Um, and uh, I was also informed of the fact that the fashion industry was one of the most polluting in the world. And, and I, just, I just couldn't deal with it. Um, and so I decided to try and, and as far as I could not contribute to it. And then I guess a few years later, um, I was leaving school and um, I started to question about my food and where it was actually coming from. And I was uh, particularly uncomfortable with the unknowns of the meat industry. Um, so I went pescatarian. Um, that was just like just trying it out, you know, um, and then um, and then I was on my gap year and I went traveling and I love, I love food, I love cooking and it was great to explore new things. Um, but I was also um, very uh, sad not to be cooking as much anymore. That's the nature of traveling. And so I was living vicariously through all the YouTubers. Um, I was looking up all these wonderful vegetarian recipes. It was great. Um, and then some of these vegetarian recipes happened to be vegan. And sometimes these vegan YouTubers would say why they're vegan. And um, I was like, but cheese, but no, <laughs> what about cheese? Um, who can live without cheese? Um, and then um, uh, I did a bit more research. I was interested. I was like, well, so many people are doing this. Why, why, like, what's the point? Um, surely it's not that bad. And um, so I watched a program called Cowspiracy and uh, did a bunch of fact searching. Um, and I was in Bolivia and we were in the middle of a drought. And I came across the fact that um, if you're interested in saving water, you can not shower for two months or not eat one beef burger. And I was uh, shocked. Um, and I was watching these kids starve to death from famine um, due to there not being enough water. Because of the drought, there was a famine and just the nature of it all. I was just I, heartbroken. Um, and 
it was it was a lot to take um so I decided you know what um I'll try being vegan I'm gonna try it when I get home from traveling I'm gonna try it and uh so here I am almost five years later and I can say I'm still vegan um and I'm not saying it was easy at the beginning either but the conviction in my heart really uh, made it feel worth it at the you know there was a lot of abuse back then if you were vegan uh, you were either an aggressively aggressive person pushing your views on people or you were living in a hippie community um, and you basically had to wear a poncho and have a bird living in your hair and live in a tent like that that was the view of vegans at the time so um yeah lots of lots of uh lots of opposition when when that happened but um but yeah like what really held me to it was uh it was an act of worship for me i um couldn't bear the fact that um by eating uh meat i was um having a 95% uh, increase in my uh, carbon footprint for the same amount of beans. If I had that on my plate, beef to beans was a 95% uh, increase and that is nuts. Um, so uh, about the Bible, what does it say? Um, I'm gonna uh, talk a bit about like this climate justice being a worship act. Um, so loving God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and loving our neighbour as ourselves. That's um, that's the two biggest commandments. And um, also the first commandment in the Bible was to humans. Uh, and that was to rule over and subdue earth. And subdue sounds like quite a strong word. It sounds like squashing an ant, doesn't it? But um let's look at how God rules, how he subdues the earth. Before humans were there, he was bringing life forward and he still does that today. And let's look at how Jesus rules. He sacrificially serves. So how does that make us think about how we should be ruling and subduing earth? I think at the moment, humans are not doing a very good job. So loving your neighbor. This includes our global and future neighbour. Those in the poorest communities globally are the most vulnerable to the effects of climate change. The countries near the equator are already seeing drought, famine, extreme weather and devastation. We are not in the middle of it right here in England, but we are contributing to it. The richest 10% in the world account for half of world emissions. And the poorest in the world, the poorest 3.5 billion people are responsible for just a tenth of those emissions. Half of all emissions released ever have been released in slightly longer than my lifetime. We agree also in the charismatic movement that worship is not just singing. It's about giving all of yourself to God, your heart, mind, soul and strength. And I think most of you would agree that our money comes into that too. That's why most of us tithe or give money away. And when we give money away, we often think about um, 
oh, is this really going to a worthwhile cause, a charity that I support? Is this organisation trustworthy? Can I trust that they're going to do what they're saying they're going to do with my money? But do we take that same consideration when we shop on the high street? Do we think about the same things when we're picking up that H&M top or that new Zara jumper? We know that these companies are not doing anything good for the environment or the workers that are making the clothes. But do we consider that when we're spending our money there? So I did tell you my story about being vegan and stuff, but this is not a call for everyone to go vegan overnight. I'm not here to preach that. And I'm not here to say, turn off your heating because you're, you're killing the earth by running a gas boiler. I'm not asking you to freeze tonight. But I am challenging you to do some research, to ask God, sit there and listen for him to lead you to where you can reduce your negative environmental impact and to rule over earth as he would as a, and be a good steward of his creation. There are so many things we can do, it's so overwhelming. And the negative things are also so overwhelming. But so is life without Jesus. Um, and so I'm gonna post in the chat a Google Doc that I have been making with some resources so that you can um, have some starters of where to go. Um, and there's so much more I could have said on this topic. It's so huge. Um, I could have bored you for an hour, um, but I would love to answer any questions and have any future conversations and um, talk about the challenges and the wins of doing things uh, for the environment. Um, so yeah, I think that's my piece. That's great, Alice. Thank you so much. Guys, can we just unmute our computers or whatever and just give everyone a bit of a round of applause? Well, I certainly feel hugely challenged by all of those talks. I've been researching all sorts of things actually during Alice's talk. Alice's talk inspired me to go on Google and start researching things. So I think that's good. I think that's probably what Alice would want. Um, so really, really good. Guys, are there any questions? Do um, If you've got a question, um, do just put your hand up. If you can use the hand up, the raise hand function in the reactions, that's probably really helpful because then your hand stays up until you've until you've had your question answered. Are there any questions for any of these three people? I know we haven't got all that long, um, but anything around kind of uh, environmental justice, anything around, um, oh, hang on, here we go. There's a thumbs up from Mari Donaldson, but I think it might be Abby. Go, Abby. Hi, girls. Um, thank you so much for all speaking. It was, you all did such an amazing job um, and I feel really challenged. And I have a question for Alice. Um, my question is around your journey around like shopping sustainably. Um, and like for you, was that something that happened? Like, it sounds like, gosh, you're an, you're an extraordinary woman, Alice, because it sounds like the Lord breaks your heart for something and you are stirred and moved to action, which is amazing. And I so want more of that. Um, but my question for you is like, was it an immediate thing? Like, okay, I'm gonna go vegan and it just happened. And okay, I'm gonna shop sustainably. 
and you just stop shopping at high streets? Like, was it instant or did you have to go on a bit of a journey? And what would your tips be for straying away from high street shops? Yeah, great point, Avs. Um, thanks so much. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was a journey. I had um, I had a few months traveling. Um, so and my heart was slowly, slowly changed without realizing it. Um, it kind of started actually I was blessed to go to New York and I actually met a real life vegan someone I had not come across before um, and um, uh, to be fair they were very New York um, <laughs> but um, yeah it was uh, it was a uh, an exciting time and I was like I couldn't deal like but like what about in chocolate where there's like the tiniest bit that's fine right um, and um, in terms of uh, yeah, I've made it sound very simple and it, it, it's been a process and um, it's, it's, it doesn't mean I've never shopped at a high street shop ever um, since my heart being broken, but I have tried as far as I can not to. Um, most of my wardrobe is made up from charity shops, from uh, taking clothes from friends or family um, or um, from like uh, eBay, Depop and uh, like ethical um, uh, resources. But um, there's a lot of, um, it, yeah, it is, it's a huge journey and, and it's just about doing one thing at a time. So for me, you know, I, I gave up meat and then I still ate fish and, and meat and dairy. And then actually while I was traveling, I kind of gave up dairy by mistake because in South America, they don't really have it. So I kind of got used to the idea of not having cheese. I, I realized like, oh, in a meal, you don't need cheese. Um, and uh, and then it was just more about like my milk and coffee and um, things like that um, and eggs. I was um, I was actually kind of put off eggs in South America because I didn't eat meat. They um, they just gave me eggs all the time with loads of oil and salt, and I, I became a bit sick of them actually. Um, but yeah, it's one thing at a time. And, and now you know I mostly shop plastic free where I can and um, all of that. But that's been a process through uni and beyond. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's so overwhelming, but doing one thing, just challenging yourself to do one thing for a month and then um, and then maybe the next month you pick something else as well. Um, it's uh, yeah, there's this it's it's not about um, becoming, you know, a, a raw vegan who lives in the bush straight away. <laughs> it's like it, there's there's a process. Yeah. Thanks, Alice. Hey, Rich, can I add something quickly? Yeah. Um, I say this with gentleness and grace. And those of you that don't know me, I'm sorry, because we I can't say this in the context of relationship, but please hear my heart is with love. <laughs> I think what Alice said in there, there was one thing that just struck a chord with me. She was like, I don't need cheese. Hard to believe I love cheese. Um I think we we have uh, in the minority world, uh, quite an entitled attitude to everything. Um, Jesus never said we'd have everything. <laughs> and I find myself in conversations often with friends being like, oh my gosh, yeah, 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 Flip, we've got to do this. I said, sharing with Alice and the people at Praise Station earlier today, yeah, this is really, really important. But when you say something like, okay, well, you know, the things we could do suddenly people are like, oh, yeah, I'm not so sure. This is a sacrifice. And I, 
we can do it like we can do it slowly and steadily so it's sustainable that's key but it's unlikely to ever be like comfortable fully and and that and that's not true because Alice is saying like she's comfortable now being a vegan and I'm sure lots of you who've made lifestyle changes are now happy with it but I think we need to get away with the idea that I could lay things down in order that our global neighbors can thrive and my life will look the same it cannot because the state of the minority world is that we have taken far, far more than our fair share and we have robbed our global brothers and sisters. So we cannot continue in the lifestyle we have whilst honoring all of God's creation, both people and like earthiness. And I think there comes a point when like, we just have to, <laughs> I don't know how to say this without sounding mean. Um, so hear me in love, get a grip. Um, and Abs, that's not directed at you, because I want to clarify that. That's directed at all of us and me included. Um, <laughs> abs, get a grip, all right? <laughs> I see you. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we can do this slowly, but at some point we need to get okay with being uncomfortable because worship is surrender. And that doesn't just mean when we're singing. It means our life laid down. It means breaking our alabaster jar in our every single day. And are you willing to sacrifice for the thriving of the rest of God's creation? Or would you like luxury? Sorry if that was really Yeah, no, I think that's good, Anna. And I think I think that comes back to what Emily was saying earlier in her talk about how actually whatever we do, we need to do it with Jesus because we're called to we're called to be challenged and we're called to do it with Jesus and there will be sacrifices. Um, and sometimes that's a sacrifice of worship, like when God asked me to pick up a flag and worship and I was like not comfortable with that at all. But that was a sacrifice for me and I did it. Um, obviously not quite on the same level, but um, there is there is sacrifices in, in our Christian walk and we can shy away from sacrifice because it's a kind of a scary thought um, and we, yeah, we're not necessarily used to it, but actually it's important to acknowledge that following Jesus, there will be sacrifices to make, but the reward is far greater. Um, and the reward is not just you know, in this case, a healthy planet and all that, the reward is, is an eternal, is an eternity with Jesus. So, 